Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kilah against the armies of the Philistines? And David inquired of the Lord again, And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Kailah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Kailah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Kailah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David at Kailah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Kailah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Kailah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Kailah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kailah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Kailah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Kailah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kailah, he gave up the expedition And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horash, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horash, on the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there, for it is told me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you, and if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they rose and went to Ziph, ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah, to the south of Jeshimon, and Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul saying, hurry. Come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. 
And so ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word, and we thank you that you speak to us through it. We pray that you would speak to us even now through the explanation, the preaching of your word. Oh Lord, uh, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. Would you be pleased to be with us through this, that you might speak deep in our hearts, that we might come away changed by your word and encouraged. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In this chapter of the story of David and Saul, the Spirit of God teaches us about the hand of God, the hand that guides and directs, the hand that encourages and frustrates, the hand that guards and defends. Kids, I don't know if you noticed this. I meant to inform you beforehand, but as we read through this particular chapter, nine times, there's one word that gets repeated over and over, nine times. It's the word hand, the word hand through these 29 verses. It's obviously a very important thing for us to notice. We hear about the hand of David and the hand of Saul, even the hand of Abiathar, the priest. They're all doing things there's a, their, their hands are at work, and yet behind all of these events that we see in this chapter, there is the hidden hand of God, the sovereign hand of God, fully in control, governing over the offense, events of David and Saul's life. And that's what we need to see in this chapter, is that God's hand is at work. There's three things that we'll see about God's hand that we can learn from this particular passage. Now, this chapter, the story as it unfolds in this chapter, follows three phases. It begins focused on the events of the town of Kaila in Israel. It ends uh, in the wilderness of Ziph, and sandwiched in between is this brief reunion between David and his friend Jonathan. And so as we take note of what the Lord has to teach us about the hand of God, we'll follow these events in order. So the first thing that we see when we look at the events of Kaila is that the hand of God guides and directs his people. Now David had been wandering in the wilderness of Judah with the men that had gathered to him, this small assembly, this small congregation, and it became aware, he became aware of the fact that the Philistines had come to attack the town of Kaila. Now Kaila was near the Philistine territory, it was on the western side of Israel, and it was a fortified city a, that had gates and bars, not just a camp or a post. And David heard that the Philistines were coming and robbing the threshing floors. Now, kids, the threshing floor was the place where the farmers would take the wheat and they would thresh the wheat and separate the wheat from the chaff. And so what these Philistine bullies were doing was they were causing the Israelite farmers to do all the work while they stole the fruit of their labor. Farmers would go and sow the seed. They would make sure that the ground was tilled, that the seed was sown. They were caring for the, the crops throughout the year. They harvested the crops. Then they would take the crops, the wheat, and they'd bring it to the threshing floor. And then they would thresh the wheat, separating the chaff from the grain. And then the Philistines would come in and rob them of all their grain. So... They stole the fruit of their labor. But not just that, they threatened their livelihood. 
This was the food supply for this particular town. And the Philistines were taking it away. Now, before all this mess between David and Saul had started, David was a valiant warrior. He, he went out with the armies of Israel on Saul's behalf to fight largely against the Philistines. And the Lord was with him wherever he went. He was victorious wherever he went. But what about now? Now David was on the run. He, wasn't, uh, he didn't have the luxury of the, the Israelite armies. All he had were these 400 men. or They were 400 in chapter 22. They're 600 here in chapter 23. Not only that, he wasn't fighting on behalf of Saul. He was now running from Saul. And yet David clearly still had this impulse to care for the people of Israel, to deliver them, and to fight. And yet David knew that his military prowess, his, regardless of how many men he had, his success was solely dependent upon the, God's favor. He needed the hand of God to be with him. And so he inquired of the Lord. He said, Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said, go. Go and attack the Philistines and save Kaila. Good. That's clear direction from the Lord. And so David prepared to grab the men to go and fight, and the men began to waffle. They began to waver, and they said, whoa, 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 whoa. Time, time, time out, David. <laughs> uh, we're afraid here in the wilderness. Uh, here we have a chance to hide. We can, we can at least hide from Saul. We can hide in the strongholds, hide and run away. You're asking us to go head-to-head with the Philistine armies. Can we at least talk about this? Are you sure that this is the right thing? And David said, well, the Lord was pretty clear, but I'll ask again. I'll ask again. So he asked, inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Kaila." For I will give the Philistines into your hand. Not just go. Not just go and fight, but go fight and you will be victorious. Beloved, we can't miss God's kind patience towards us. We need God's guidance and direction in our lives. God has a perfect perspective. He knows exactly what he will do. He knows the hearts of men start to finish, and we need to ask for guidance, and God gives us guidance in his word. He speaks clearly to us in in his word, and yet all too often isn't it true that we waver, we waffle, even when we hear God's clear word to us. And so we ask again, and God is patient with us. He continues to speak to us. And God's revealed this kind, patient with our doubts and our wavering over and over in the pages of Scripture. Moses doubted his calling at the burning bush, and God was patient with him as he asked question upon question. God was patient with Gideon as Gideon offered a fleece, not once but twice on the threshing floor, and the Lord confirmed his calling. The Lord confirmed the calling of David and his men to go and fight Kaila here 
in chapter 23 in the Lord Jesus Christ asked three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, please, but not my will, but your will be done. But beloved, when, when God is clear with his word, when he gives us that clear direction as he speaks to us in his word, we need not only ask, we must respond. We must trust him to act and to act in obedience. And that's what David did, David and his men. After hearing this second confirmation, they, they got up, they left the stronghold, they went, they fought the Philistines, and they struck them with a great blow, and the Lord gave the Philistines into David's hand. He was able to save the city of Kaila. Brothers and sisters, has the Lord been speaking to you? Clearly, have you been waffling? Has he been patient with you? Please don't test his patience. Listen to him and respond in obedience. He is faithful. He will be with you. Now, I don't know if you notice it, but there in chapter six, or verse six, I'm sorry, uh, we, we get almost this footnote of how David was able to inquire of the Lord. It was from Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, who we heard about in chapter 22, who had fled to David with an ephod in his hand. Now, this ephod was a priestly garment, probably belonged to Ahimelech, his father. It, was the priestly garment that had the Urim and the Thummim, which God had given for inquiring of the Lord. And uh, in, in the, the massacre at Nob, Abimelech had taken the ephod and fled to David. And how ironic is that? Because you remember in chapter 22, why, why was Ahimelech and all the city of priests massacred? It was because of a false accusation that was made against the, the priest. That Doeg the Edomite had said, Ahimelech has inquired of the Lord for on behalf of David. But it was because of that false accusation and because of that bloody massacre that Abiathar was able to take the, the ephod and flee to David. And now David has the opportunity to inquire of the Lord. Doeg had meant it for evil, but God had meant it for good that God would give David a means by which to inquire of the Lord for guidance. Now Saul, after this uh, defeat at Kaila, this victory at Kaila, Saul heard uh, what had happened. And notice what he doesn't do. Saul didn't say, well, praise God, for God has delivered my people by the hand of David. He has defeated the Philistines yet again. No, what did he say? He said, aha, at last, at last, God has given David into my hand, for he has trapped himself into a city, a fortified city with gates and bars. Saul continues to be singularly focused on one thing, and that is capturing and killing David. And you, do you see what he did? There in verse 8, it says, Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Kaila to besiege David and his men. Oh, don't miss this. The king of Israel summoned the people, the armies, to go wage war on his own town, to besiege his own town. 
yeah, of course, he's only focused on David and his men, but there would be significant collateral damage. Significant collateral damage. And this king, who has become so consumed with his wrath and his anger and his jealousy, who just waged war on the city of priests, is now willing to wage war and besiege his own fortified city. He is systematically destroying his own country. And David somehow hears about this. And it says that David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. He knew that Saul was after him. And he, he also knew that Saul was planning to come down to Kilah. But notice what he, he didn't do. He didn't rest on his own knowledge, his own understanding, but he inquired of the Lord. Something that Saul didn't do. Saul presumed upon the Lord. He didn't inquire of the Lord. He simply presumed God has given me into his hand. Beloved, in Saul's defense, he didn't have a way to inquire of the Lord. He had no means by which to ask the Lord for guidance. The only thing he could do was presume. Understand this, brothers and sisters. As sinful human beings, we do not have direct access to the holy God. We must have a mediator to approach God on our behalf. One who is chosen by God and who God counts as holy. And David had such things. God has instituted the office of priest and the office of prophet. One, a prophet, one who comes and speaks to sinners on God's behalf, who God, God chooses to speak. And priests, one who God chooses and sets apart and counts as holy to come into his presence and to intercede on, on people's behalf, on our behalf. And Saul had none of these. Saul had, because of his wickedness, his disobedience, Saul had, or the prophet Samuel had left him. He had gone away. There was no more voice of God speaking to Samuel. And, and Saul, because of his wickedness, had just killed the entire city of priests, all except for one, Abiathar, who fled in his haste to go to be with David. And so Saul had no means to intercede, to ask for guidance from the Lord. He had no voice to speak to him and to give him guidance. But David had both. David had the prophet Gad. David had the priest Abiathar. And so David was able to inquire of the Lord. And beloved, understand this. This is an amazing gift of the gospel. Is that what, whereas David had with prophet and priest, and Saul had neither prophet nor priest. You and I, in Christ Jesus, have both a prophet and a priest. We have what we need in order to be able to inquire of the Lord, to be able to hear the Lord's voice in Christ Jesus. We do not have access apart from Christ, but only in Christ Jesus. We need Christ Jesus by his Spirit to work in us, to tell us, to reveal to us the, the spiritual things of God, we have the Word of God. It's been given to us. But apart from the Spirit of Christ Jesus in us, 
Scripture says it's foolishness. We don't understand it. It means nothing to us. It doesn't ignite our hearts. But in Christ Jesus, it sets our hearts aflame. It gives us a will to receive it by truth. And apart from Christ Jesus, we have no right to approach the throne of grace with confidence, to, to pray to God, to ask for wisdom, to ask for guidance. Scripture is clear that the prayers of the wicked are an abomination to him. And all of us have been in such a place. But in Christ Jesus, beloved, he has paved the way. He has purified us by his blood. He intercedes for us as our high priest so that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence to find grace and help in time of need. Oh, beloved, do you understand the greatness of the gift that you have? It is a gift that is not given to all. You have the gift to, to ask God for guidance and for him to speak to you and to direct you. Are you making use of that gift that has been given to you in Christ Jesus? Or are you living more like Saul, presuming that you know what God's will is? Well, David, even though he, he knew that the men were pursuing after him, he, he still asked God for guidance. And he offered up this humble prayer of petition. There in verse 10, he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come here to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down and will you, as your servants heard? O Lord, God of Israel, please tell your servant. And God said, he will come down. David didn't get everything that he needed, so he went back and he asked again, well, will, will the men of Kilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul, and the Lord said, they will surrender you. And so David and his men, with the insight and the guidance given by the Lord, escaped. And they went wherever they could. And Saul was wrong. God did not give David into his hand. Well, moving on from there, David and his men went to the wilderness of Ziph and as we come to this interaction, this reunion between David and Jonathan, what we learn is that the hand of God encourages and sustains his people. So David and his men went and they, they hid wherever they could, and we we're told that Saul sought after David day after day, yet God did not give him into his hand. God had become David's stronghold and fortress, all of God's Gates and bars were closed to Saul. The men of Kilah may have surrendered David up to Saul, but the Lord would not surrender David up to Saul. And he had closed his gates and bars to Saul, but he opened them to Jonathan. It's actually quite surprising, isn't it? Day after day, Saul is pursuing after David with all the resources that a king can muster, and he's constantly thwarted day after day. David is able to hide and elude and escape, and yet seemingly with no effort at all, Jonathan is able to find David. Jonathan came 
to encourage him. Saul was seeking after David in order to take his life. Jonathan was seeking after David in order to sustain his life with life-giving encouragement. It says that uh, he strengthened his hand in God. One uh, commentator put it well that Jonathan took David's hand and he put it in the hand of God to encourage him. Because notice how Jonathan encourages David. He encourages him with the, sh- the certainty of God's word, the certainty of God's promises to David. He says, um, he said, verse 17, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be king next to you. Saul my father knows this. He says, David, God anointed you to be king. God promised you that you would be king. Rest in that promise. If that is true, since that is true, my father will not find you. He will not kill you. You shall be king, and I will be right there beside you. And they confirmed, they reaffirmed their covenant with one another. Beloved, how sweet and how necessary is good, godly encouragement. It is especially necessary for us in the Christian life, is it not? The Christian life is difficult. It is demanding. We grow weary, as we heard in our law passage. We grow weary in doing good as the the daggers and the arrows of the world keep flinging in our direction, and no matter how much we seek to evade them, it is wearying. It is wearying when we wrestle with the old man that we know so well in our hearts. We try to put him to death, and he gains power over us from time to time, and in our grief and in our sadness and our guilt, we grow weary, and we begin to wonder. We begin to doubt God's goodness, is he with me? Am I all by myself? And we need to hear this good, godly encouragement. David needed to hear this encouragement. David was constantly on the run from Saul. He had just just engaged in this act of valor, laid his life down on the line for the the town of Kaila. He had saved them by his daring might. And then the Lord revealed to him, they're going to surrender you over to, to Saul. What a gut punch. And beloved, so often don't we feel that same gut punch in the midst of our desire to do the will of the Lord. We need to hear that encouragement. God in his grace laid it on Jonathan's heart to go find his brother David. And he laid it on on, on Jonathan's heart to to find him. He opened the door to him and he gave him these words of encouragement. And beloved, understand this. We need the sustaining grace of our God because it's not as wonderful as the coming to faith is. That's not the end. We must persevere to the end. Uh, Puritan Thomas Watson said, the glory of the Christian life is not the beginning, 
But it is the end, just as much as the, the, the glory of a building is not the first stone that's laid, but the completed structure. And beloved, the, the coming to faith is, is a miracle of God. It is a miracle of God where the dead are made alive in Christ. It's where those who are living in darkness see light and begin to walk in the light, where sinners are transformed into saints. And we become new creation. But that's not the end. That's As glorious as that is, that's not the end. We must persevere. We must remain in him. We must live in him. We must abide in him until the end. And it takes encouragement for us to be able to do that. We were not intended to do that alone. But praise God, our Father will ensure that you have all the sustaining encouragement that you need in order to persevere to the end. Beloved, in, in a very real sense, that is what the preaching of the word is intended to do, to take your hand and to put it into the strong hand of your heavenly Father, to remind you of God's good and precious promises, which are sure and which are for you, that you might be encouraged. Beloved, how do you need to be encouraged? How do you need to be encouraged? Are you are you afraid? Are you afraid in the midst of this life? Your God says, fear not, for I am with you. I will uphold you. I will sustain you by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Are you afraid of how to provide? Are you concerned about your financial circumstances or what your financial future looks like? God's word says, and my God will supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. Are you concerned about your children? Our God has said, those who are with young, I lift and I carry gently in my arms. Are you concerned about what the future will hold, where to go? Are you confused about direction? Your father says, the Lord is my shepherd. Take me, take me by the hand. I will lead you. I will be with you. I will guide you. Fear not. I will protect you. Are you concerned about whether you will be holy enough, be able to defeat the sin in your life enough? Well, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I have forgiven you. You are mine. I've bought you. I have begun a good work in you, and I will be faithful to complete it in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, beloved, these are God's promises for you. Grab hold of them and plant them in your heart and live by them and then speak of them and encourage them to your, encourage your brothers and sisters because that's the other way that we encourage one another. That's the other way that we sustain one another is by encouraging one another. We're called to do it. From the comfort that we receive, we're to comfort one another. Brothers and sisters, who of your brothers and sisters is discouraged or afraid or anxious, how can you encourage them with the promises of God? But understand this, beloved, even if the preaching of the word should fail to encourage you, even if we fail one another, the Lord Jesus Christ will never fail us. We will always be encouraged with the grace that we need. The Apostle Paul experienced that. He said, he said at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me 
and strengthen me. Oh, beloved, if you need the encouragement of your God, which we all do, draw near to him. He will draw near to you. He will sustain you. He will encourage you. Well, after Jonathan left, David was left there in the wilderness of Ziph. And in this last set of circumstances, we see that the hand of God defends and guards his people. And David was hiding in the, the wilderness of Ziph, and the Ziphites became aware of that, and they went and told Saul. Now, the men of Kailah, they were no doubt um, thankful for David's salvation, and yet the Lord knew that they even they would crumble under the siege that was coming. But these Ziphites, they seem different. These men seem loyal to Saul. And they run to Saul and they say, O Saul, O king, is David not hiding among us? Do what is all in your heart. Come down to us and our part will be to surrender David into your hand. Did you catch that? Oh, you mighty, mighty Ziphites. The Lord would not surrender David into Saul's hand, but you will surrender David into Saul's hands. <laughs> and Saul, uh, the, the, the look of elation on his face must have been priceless. As he exclaimed, oh, at last, finally, somebody who's not conspiring against me, finally, somebody who cares about me, who is interested in my concerns, who sees the value of my kingship, and tears of joy streaming down his face as he says, Oh, blessed be you by the, by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Oh, brothers and sisters, what a perversion. What a perversion. May you be blessed by the Lord for your cunning desire to capture an innocent man, hand him over to me to be murdered. Oh, beloved, how blind we can be in the midst of the hardness of our hearts and the sin that is so prevalent in us that we would think that God would grant blessing to our wickedness. And are we any different? Are we any different? But Saul sees an opportunity and he, he jumps on it and he says, great, now's the chance. Now is when we finally are going to get our guy. He said, here's, here's what I need you to do. Track him down, spy him out, figure out where he is, see where he's lurking. This, this guy is cunning. Figure out all his paths. And when you know where he is, I myself will come down. We'll, we'll cast the dragnet, we'll haul him in, and I'll finally end this once and for all. And what, what ensues is a high-speed chase right here in 1 Samuel chapter 23, with the fugitive David running from the Israelite authorities. The men of Ziph go out and spy David out. They figure out where he is. Saul comes down. Saul starts to seek. David hears about it. David flees to the rock. And then you get the split screen where David is on one side of the mountain and Saul and his men are on the other side of the mountain. And David and his men are running with all their might trying to get away. And Saul and his men are faster and they're gaining on him. And you see them converge again, a point where Saul is going to catch David. And it's going to be the end. This is it. And then all of a sudden, wait, whoa, who is that? 
He's, who's that guy running? He is coming so quickly, coming right up to Saul. And you hear him shout, King Saul, hurry, the Philistines. The Philistines are here. You need to come. There's peril for Israel. And even in Saul, in his madness, driving madly against David, recognizes the greater threat. And he breaks off the pursuit. And he went to find and fight the Philistines. And David and his men escaped and went to the wilderness of Engedi. And beloved, understand this. If you are in the strong hand of our God, God's will will certainly be done for you. There is beautiful creativity in God's deliverance and salvation for his people. Nothing can stop him. He owns the cattle in a thousand hills. And our God can devise thousands upon thousands of ways to deliver his people. His arm is not short. His hand is not weak. He has already demonstrated so many creative and amazing ways to deliver David. He delivered David by the fleet-footed escape from a spear, from a dummy in a bed, from the Spirit of God coming upon Saul himself, from a fabricated story over dinner, and now, at just the right moment, the Philistines attacking Israel delivering David from Saul. He's delivered Israel, his people, in so many ways, with plagues, with the parting of Red Sea, from a donkey's jawbone, from jail's tent peg. And beloved, if he can devise such ways for David and for his people, he certainly can devise them for you and for me. He who composed, who devised, who created the sun and the moon and the stars and the constellations, the birds and the animals and the fish of the sea, the insects, the creative beauty, the diversity and complexity of humankind has that same creative delight in devising deliverance for you and for me. Beloved, is that improbable? Perhaps but our God does not deal with probability. Our God is, our God covenants, he acts and he delivers and no one can stop him. And beloved, what greater illustration of that is the, than the cross of Jesus Christ? Who would ever conceive that the almighty creator of the universe would take on human flesh to become like you and me? But the the God who upholds and sustains the universe by his powerful hand would give himself up into the hands of men to be accused, abused, and crucified. That such a man who was dead would be raised to new life as he burst the bonds of death into new life. And that you and I, by believing in such a remarkable and improbable thing, would be transformed into new creation, and partakers of glory with God himself for all eternity. Oh, beloved, but all that is remarkably true. And since that is true, what is impossible for our God? Who could possibly stop him? Oh, beloved, put your hand 
into the strong hand of our God. Entrust yourself into his powerful hand. Let him lead you. Let him encourage you with the certainty of his word. His hand is strong. His hand is sovereign. His hand is sure. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, my father who is greater than all, who has given them to me, has given them to me and none can snatch them out of my father's hand. Oh, beloved, let this be said of you and of me. Let us entrust ourselves to him because he loves us. He is our God. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, you, your power is marvelous and magnificent. Your creative genius and your deliverance is beyond compare. Who is like you? We love you. We thank you that you have condescended to be our God, that you've called us to be your people. Oh, Lord, help us to worship you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who has made all this ours, and for your Holy Spirit, which enlightens our eyes to grab hold of it. Oh, please help us to live as your children, as your people, all of our days. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.